0: On episode 544 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we meet Katie Gerber and discuss her book, Adventure Ready, A Hiker's Guide to Planning, Training, and Resiliency. If you've ever been interested in planning, preparing for, and doing some longer hikes, Katie shares a lot of great tips on this episode. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 544. You decided you're ready to make a change to reclaim your health and fitness the 40 plus fitness podcast is here for you each week we dive deep into health and fitness topics that affect those of us over 40. i'm alan meisner i'm an nsam certified personal trainer with specializations in corrective exercise behavior change and fitness nutrition a fai certified functional aging specialist and an ota level 2 online trainer I'm joined each week by our co-host, Rachel Everett. She is an NASM certified personal trainer and a RRCA level one run coach. Let us be your coaches as you find your way on your health and fitness journey, all right? Let's go. Are you still struggling to lose weight? Do you get winded walking up a flight of stairs? Do you look in the mirror and see an older looking you staring back? Now you can hit the jump forward button a couple times and forget we had this conversation, or you can listen to what I have to say. It doesn't have to be this way. We can wipe away the frustration and get amazing results. You can lose the weight. You can get more fit. You can look and feel years younger. I've designed the Be Fit for Task program to give you the jumpstart you've needed and the tools to keep you going. You'll have the guidance to find your path to health and fitness. You'll have direct accountability from me, Coach Allen, and you'll have support to get you through the hard spots. After the six-week Be Fit for Task program, you'll have lost weight, gotten stronger and more fit, and you'll have the motivation and confidence to be the person you should be, fit for task. I'm so confident that Be Fit for Task will work for you that I'm offering a 40-day full money-back guarantee. If you don't feel this program is doing everything I promise, I'll give you your money back. You have nothing to lose. I have a limited number of slots available, so pause this podcast and go to forty plus fitness dot forward slash BFFT to let me know you're interested in learning more. that's forty plus dot com forward slash bFFt. You can be fit for tasks with forty 40+ plus fitness. forty plus fitnesspodcast dot com, Forward slash bfft. Hey Raz, how are things?
1: Good, Alan. How are you today?
0: I'm doing okay. Um, Yeah, doing all right.
1: Good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Good to hear. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we're we're going we're into the low season, and and so what happens is we have all this blank time at Lula's, You know, so you're looking at just day after day after day of, of no people here. Oh. Now that could sound great to somebody, but you know, it's revenue. And it's, it's yeah. we got to pay the bills. We still have employees. We still have electricity. We still have things we got to do. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we were just, there was nobody, uh, like <laughs> no bookings at all. And so I, wow. I was really only on one listing, uh, agent out there besides ourselves. So you can come directly to our website mm-hmm. and book, Uh, but we're then connected into, we were connected into one other, what they call OTA, which is just someone who sells, sells your rooms for a commission. And, uh, we were on one and they, they, they dried Mm -hmm. up. So we weren't getting any from them either. And so, um, I've been, I've been working since we opened to try to get on these other places Mm -hmm. and, they just weren't happening. And I was like, I just don't understand. I, I do what I'm told to do, and then nothing happens. And so I, I managed over the course of the last three weeks to get on two of the other ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Good.
0: And, and that's helped a lot. Like cool. A lot of bookings are coming in through those two other sources, uh, one in particular. And then there's one other source that I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. And when I first tried to start doing this, like I said, this was back November. I'm trying to get on this this one. And we had already had, it was already an account. And so I was just trying to access the account and things were a little backwards for them because you, to ask for help, you have to log in. Well, Mm -hmm. I I didn't have the login criteria, so I I, I couldn't, I couldn't log in. (laughs) Okay. And, and because I couldn't log in, I couldn't get to their extranet site to ask for help. And there's no external email or anything to contact them at all. There's no way to reset the password. There's no way to do anything else on that site. And so you're just completely locked out. So I created a (laughs) new site. I'm like, I created a new web, another one, like a just whole new start all over. Mm -hmm. So there won't be any reviews on that and then all that. And that's fine. We'll work that out. But I go to set it up and they're like, we want to confirm your address. So they want to mail me something. Hmm. Well, we don't get mail here. Oh, (laughs) you can't physically mail something to me. You know, you can mail it to an U S address, but that's not going to confirm that I'm at a physical address. So then they want to do it online. And I've been going back and forth. They're like, are you on Airbnb? Send your listing stuff and we'll confirm you. I sent it and I got nothing. And then Mm -hmm. they send it again and they say, okay, well, we can get on a zoom call with you. I'm like, cool. So I go to book the zoom call and then it comes back with this. Okay. Your, your, your appointment set. It's going to be on Google meet but there's no link to the Google meet, (laughs) I email the woman. I'm like, I didn't get a link. I didn't get a code, nothing. And we're supposed to be on the call. Uh, it it didn't happen. And so I booked another one right after it on, on that same thing. And again, it never sends me a link to the meeting and she's not responding to emails. So it's just, I've been working like, I've been working on this for months, months and months and months. Uh, seven months going on now. And just this one, but one, one place, I can't, I'm not going to say their name out loud. Uh, but one of them that I was trying to get on cause it's one of the bigger ones, mm-hmm. they're just they're, they're not equipped to help. Wow. People.
1: <laughs> that is so bizarre, what a crazy thing.
0: So that that's my morning frustration. I was supposing to have someone get on a Google call with me so I can confirm that we are who we say we are, <laughs> we are where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, that fell through. And Whoa. still, she's not responding to my emails. And I'm like, I don't understand. It's, you know,
1: no, terrible but customer service. It
0: is, but we are on those other uh, bookings. And so if you're Good. looking for a vacation spot, uh, come on down to Bocas del Toro. Uh, we've got rooms.
1: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that sounds great.
0: So how are things up there?
1: 100%. Oh, things are great. You know, I've had a really rough spring with allergies just to pick up mono and I haven't been running for about a month because of yeah. the mono and the fatigue, but now I feel I'm back to normal out there walking the trails and enjoying some time outside. So I'm feeling really good. outside doesn't want to kill me right now.
0: The outside doesn't want to kill
1: me right now. <laughs> <laughs> me yeah. right now. <laughs> Not now anyway. <laughs> All right. Yeah, feeling great. You know, I,
0: that's, I guess that's just one of the odd things. I really have never suffered with allergies
1: Oh, you're so uh, and i lived
0: in austin you know and, and i'll tell you you mm. moved to austin you may not have um these problems before you moved to austin but every, almost everybody who lives in austin develops allergies and i'm oh, wow. fortunate I, I i never did but i was only there for uh, about three years so mm. uh, maybe i just missed it but yeah, yeah i'm fortunate and then here here in the jungle um nothing. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, I didn't have these problems in Florida. When I lived in Florida, it was not nearly this bad, but the trees um, on my property here, I'm pretty much allergic to most of them. So <laughs> it's just my <laughs> poor planning on taking notice of the wildlife in my area.
0: oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay, well, I hope <laughs> I hope that things are good and that things are yes. not trying to kill you and you can get right. back out to your running. Thank you.
1: <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> All right. Are you ready to talk to Katie? Yes. All right. Our guest today is a certified holistic health and nutrition coach, wilderness instructor, guide, and rider. She's a seasoned long-distance hiker who has covered thousands of miles on trails and routes including the Continental Divide Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Colorado Trail, the Wind River High Route, the Oregon Desert Trail, and on Colorado's highest peaks. She is the founder of Adventure Ready and Backpacker Academy, family of online courses, which are designed to help backcountry enthusiasts overcome a variety of obstacles so they can embark on adventures with confidence and spend more time outside. With no further ado, here's Katie Gerber. Katie, welcome to 40 Plus Fitness.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Now, your book is called "A Hiker's Guide to Planning, Training, and Resiliency," and oh, sorry, "Adventure Ready: <laughs> A Hiker's Guide to Planning, Training, and Resiliency." And you know, I, I, I have clients that hike uh, and love hiking. I actually have one; he does he does a lot of day hiking. Uh, and then I I just got a client, and his aspiration is to do the Appalachian Trail. He'll awesome. be sixty five, so he's he said he's going to break that into sections. And so I think when people think of hiking, because I know like here on the island or on the different islands, they'll put together hikes. There's a hiking group. i'm a, I'm a member, although they tend to talk they they tend to plan a hike, like they'll email the day for a hike they're going to do. Tomorrow. And I'm like, mm. oh, you know, I didn't have time to plan and have time to schedule. And no, I can't make that one. But um, so a lot of them work that way. But these are hikes through the jungle and they're usually a few hours, like half day things. But hiking is really kind of this diver- diverse sport, if you will. I mean, similar to running, where you could just do a 5K or you can do a marathon or you can do an ultra marathon or, you know, a, a, a even take it further, you know, some of the 100 miles, uh, multiple days in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about hiking and kind of some of those variables that maybe we haven't heard about so we can get an idea of where we're, where we're going with this?
2: Sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There. Are, so that was a great analogy to with running. Like there are many ways to engage like hiking and backpacking and, this whole world of like through hiking, which is something that my book speaks to. And so, like with day hiking, that's what you're talking about. Like you have that that local group that does a lot of day hikes. So that's essentially just any anytime you're getting out for the day, not sleeping out overnight. It could be a couple miles, or for some people, it could be like a 30-mile day, it could be a day hike. It's a big day hike, but it could be a day hike. Um, <laughs> and then there are these long trails um that usually we're referring to there's a debate about what a long trail is, but it was like the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Crest Trail, anything that's usually like you know a hundred or so miles or more, anywhere up to a couple thousand, like you know, the Continental Divide Trail is is 2,800 miles. Um, and there are different ways to hike that type of trail, to backpack that trail essentially, you could do it in sections. So some people will hike like a couple sections each year and eventually what we call a through hike, which is to hike the entire trail, they will through hike it over um, maybe a decade or something by adding up sections, or there's some people who like to go out and to hike the entire thing in one season. So maybe they start like the Appalachian Trail, for instance, like you are talking about your client, maybe they'll start in late April in uh, Georgia, one of the terminus, the Southern terminus, of the Appalachian Trail, and hike all the way North, up to Maine, the Northern Terminus in one season. And so that's 2,200 miles. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of different ways to engage in hiking and backpacking, um, kind of depending on your life and how deep you want to go.
0: Yeah. And if you're doing over 2000 miles and you go the wrong direction, even a step, that's, <laughs> that's no fun. You don't want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's no fun. And, I, it's and you guys We had some great stories in the book about exactly that, especially when you're talking about the orientating, you know, and back before GPSs were really popular and, you know, you're looking at a map and you say, oh, well, that's that ridge. And you start walking that direction only to find that, no, the next ridge that you were looking for isn't there. So you got to turn around and go back to where you were.
2: Yeah. It's the worst. It's the worst feeling. Exactly. Especially when you're on like a 2,000 mile hike, even missing a, a trail junction by a mile and having to backtrack, you're just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's so, why learning the, the navigational skill set can be really helpful.
0: And, and you do a really good job. I I was in the military and, and had to do a good bit of that myself before the days of GPS. And and yeah, the compass and the map of your friends, uh, if you learn and, and practice, and I think that was one of the key things you talked about in the book is this is a skill; it requires practice, um, and and so you you help us with that. Now, one of the things you put in there, and I love it because I I live on an island in the Caribbean, and so people bring things here and they leave them. Um, the, the locals are kind of the worst, but um, people will go out and they will make a trail less likable, less fun. And we've actually, because some of this stuff is private property, we've had owners just say, "No, you you can't." come on my property anymore because of this. But there, you talk about the seven principles of leave no trace. Can you go through those? Because I think it's really important when we're we're doing these things to make sure that we're doing them responsibly. Um, so just to give people food for thought, if they're going to get out in nature, which is what you need to do, you should be out in nature, um, What what's some protocols or etiquette we need to follow?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that you're bringing this up because I think any of us who are going to spend time in the outdoors um, should be aware of these principles because, yeah, we just want to leave as little impact as possible out there so everyone can continue to enjoy it. So essentially, yeah, there are these uh, seven leave no trace principles that we talk about in the book. And obviously we, we didn't develop these where this is, there's a center called um, Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics. Um, essentially, these principles are designed to minimize our impact on the outdoors, help us be good stewards of the land that we're walking through. Um, and so these principles are designed mostly for backcountry use, but they can be used anywhere, like you said, on like in, in a local park or on your trails out behind your house or anything like that. So, um, sure, I'll briefly go through them um, and we can talk a little bit about each of them. So the first one is to plan ahead and prepare. Um, so by planning ahead, essentially, like individuals who are going out or groups that are going out can be better set up to um, to stay safe, and then to to practice these leave no trace principles. So for example, if an inexperienced user goes out into the back country, um, maybe in the Sierras, and they don't know that there's a fire ban there, because um, in the Southwest, where I live in Colorado, and then you know west of me, we have very severe wildfire problems in the summer. So if someone doesn't know there's a fire ban, and they only brought food that can be cooked over a campfire, then they're almost like forced to start a campfire where they shouldn't be starting one. Or maybe... If someone doesn't plan a trip properly and they don't know what the terrain is going to be like, and it's more rigorous than they expect, and they have to to camp in a place that's not ideal, then they could be damaging some of the uh, fragile surfaces, for example. So that's why planning ahead and preparing is the first step, um, is so that you can be a better practitioner of these leave-no-trace principles. So travel and camp on durable surfaces is the second one. So durable surface was, would be anything like uh, sand, rock, ice, snow, anything that can withstand impact. Some vegetation can, some can't. Um, and non, examples of non-durable surfaces would be like uh, cryptobiotic soil, which is a type of living soil in the desert that prevents erosion. Um, delicate alpine tundra would be another one, like wet meadows where you trample the grass and it doesn't um, bounce back easily. Um, so just knowing like what are durable surfaces, what aren't durable surfaces, traveling on trail where you can. And if you're traveling in a group, knowing how to minimize your impact on those, um, non-durable surfaces, essentially, um, knowing like where you can camp, where, um, you're not going to cause further impact and just how to go about that. Um, and then the third one is dispose of waste properly. That refers to, of course, packing out your trash. A lot of people may have heard the the phrase um, "pack it in, pack it out," but it also refers to human waste, um, which in many cases, um, like in a river corridor, should also be packed out. Um, or if you're in like in a fragile uh, alpine environment, it should also be packed out. Or if you're going to bury your waste, like which digging a cat hole is sort of the way that the accepted practice to go about that. To know like that you have to dig it deep enough. Um, 200 feet from uh, water, away from high use areas, away from like game trails and places that animals are going to use regularly. And then packing out your teepee In some places where it's like moist and hot and it's going to break down, that's fine. It'll probably degrade. But in a lot of places, especially like, again, where I live, where it's dry, or if you're in the Alpine and it's just not going to break down because there's not enough heat and there's not enough moisture, just pack it out. And like knowing the best practices around that. Um, and one other part of like, uh, that whole topic of like, um, it's not really disposing of waste, but it kind of goes under this is like not putting soap into the waterways. Like a lot of people like, oh, well, it's a biodegradable soap. I can use it in the, in the waterway, but we don't want to do that as well. So it's part of that leave no trace ethic. Um, the fourth one is leave what you find, which is pretty straightforward. It's like any, you know, we go out there cause we all want to see these beautiful flowers or Beautiful. uh, We find beautiful rocks or like when I was in Utah uh, guiding last month, we were finding artifacts like old arrowheads and things like that. And it's so tempting for people like, oh, I want to take this home and I want to show it to people. It's so cool. But um, part of leave no trace ethics is just to leave what you find. Other people want to enjoy it as well. Um, and then another part of that is, is to avoid like landscaping an area with like fire rings or log chairs or things like that. Um, avoiding like moving things around too much in an area, or if you do naturalizing it again, before you leave the area, um, minimizing campfire impacts is principle number five. Um, so that again, I mentioned fire bands. So knowing when, when and where fire bans are in effect, if you are allowed to build a fire in an area knowing whether it's going to cause potential damage to the backcountry, there, Um, looking around, knowing is there sufficient firewood that I'm not going to further uh, impact the area, like will removal of this firewood be noticed? I mean, then understanding how to minimize an impact if you do build a fire, like if you build a fire ring, like you should build it in a ring if the one exists, you should dismantle the ring if it doesn't exist. And there are other methods to like building campfires that you can minimize your impact um respecting wildlife is principle number six so that's just like keeping your distance you know not being too intrusive like i think we've all seen those national park photos where people are like having their cameras and they're like right up in like the the moose's face or like way too close to the bison or the bears and it's you know it's obviously stressing the animal out and so it's like we want to avoid that we don't even want them to know our of our presence unless we're trying to just like sort of gently like spook them away so that we can pass through a trail. Um, but it also means, you know, not camping too close to a water source where we might be scaring the animal away from coming to the water source, not, um, camping right on top of a game trail where we might interrupt their travel to and from where they're trying to go. So yeah, just generally being respectful of the wildlife, like we're, we're in their home, so we want to be, you know, respectful, like like we would being a house house guest in someone else's home, so. Um, And then the seventh one is being considerate of other visitors. Um, We're all trying to be out there enjoying nature, and so I think just being cognizant of what you're doing, um, like, you know, Using your headphones instead of playing music loudly through a speaker, which might disrupt other people or disrupt the wildlife or um, keeping your dog leashed or um, just sharing the trail with other users, whether those are pedestrians or equestrians or bicyclists or whatever it is. Um, Just, yeah, being thoughtful of other people so we can all enjoy the outdoors. And if you want to learn more, oh, I was just to say LNT.org is a place to go to really get all the details on that.
0: LNT for leave no trace.org. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Now it's the end of June. And so for most of the places uh, that people would be either hiking or training, because that's the other side of it, is if you're going to start your hike next April uh, to do the Appalachian Trail, for example, you're training now. Um, And so you're getting out and training. And one of the things that that happens for a lot of us is we're we're trying to push ourselves because, again, we're carrying a pack. That pack Mm -hmm. could be over 40 pounds, maybe 50 pounds sometimes when you first start with the food. And you're into heat, so you've got to you've got to train your body to do that. We're going to talk about conditioning in a minute, but one of the things that hits a lot of us is just the heat and all this all those things that can happen with regards to illnesses, heat illnesses. So, you know, we're talking about heat exhaustion, heat stroke. Can you kind of talk us through what we should be looking for as far as symptoms that the heat's starting to really be a problem for us, and what we should do about it?
2: yeah absolutely. yeah, definitely something valuable to be aware of. So yeah, uh, as you were just saying, it kind of um so these heat illnesses can occur uh, essentially like on a spectrum. like there's a progression. So like there's heat rash and heat cramping, which most of us are familiar with like um, from exercising outdoors and the heat, those are pretty common um, and can be prevented and treated by consuming adequate adequate water and salts and cooling off and resting in the shade. Um, and then as you mentioned, there's more serious forms of that. So there's that would, if those aren't treated, that would progress to heat exhaustion and then to heat stroke. Um, and these also result from exercising in the heat and the humidity, not consuming enough water or salts, and they can essentially cause the body temperature to rise above critical levels. So prevention is best. Um, so if we can stay hydrated, um, consume electrolytes pay attention to when we're starting to overheat and we can rest and not try to, we are pushing ourselves, but maybe we try to not push ourselves beyond what is comfortable in the heat, or at least, um, just being, just paying attention to our own, our own body and what's, what's going on in there. So you're asking about symptoms. So heavy sweating, um, muscle cramping, when you start to get a headache, nausea is a big one that I've seen before. Like if you're starting to get nauseous, um, dizzy, Of course, fainting is a pretty obvious symptom. Um, Pulse can change, either become really rapid or really weak. So when you're starting to see any of those changes, those should be like red flags. Like, hey, it's time to slow down, find some shade, cool off immediately, whether by putting cold water on the skin, um, any way that you can cool down, replace some of those fluids in the body, take some electrolytes if you haven't been taking in any salts or anything like that. Um, and then if, if that's, if you don't treat that, that can progress to that um, heat stroke, which is a medical emergency. So if it progresses to that point and that's a temperature greater than 103 and some of the symptoms would be that you stop sweating, actually, you start to get slurred speech and essentially there's any changes in consciousness, um, that's when you need medical help. And so hopefully you're carrying some sort of either a cell phone or an in-reach device, which is like a satellite communication device that you can get yourself help.
0: Yeah. or, yeah, or you're it. traveling with a, a hiking buddy. And so this is yes. something also, if, if you notice that your hiking buddy is getting confused, uh, they've stopped sweating, you know, start asking them a couple of questions that they should be able to answer. And if they really start struggling with those types of things, it, it's time to call it quits and, and get that person some help. Yeah. Okay. So yes, we need to condition ourselves for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, okay. You, know, you start thinking how, how does one go about training for a 2,000 mile plus hike? And uh, you know it kind of brings me back to my marathon days and, and the way we would say it was you, you either you either do the work before you either feel the pain before you do the run or you're going to feel it after you do the run. <laughs> but this you're going to feel it during because this, this is not just a one day thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the phrase you use in the book which I like is to hike yourself into shape. And some people can can and do do that, but it's going to make for a very unpleasant first few weeks. Can you talk about how someone could go about planning a conditioning program? You have some in the book, so that's, I don't want to, you mm-hmm. don't have to give all that away the stretching and all of this stuff we're going to talk about that's in the book, but you can just give us an overview of how someone can look at planning their conditioning. So they're ready. It's so like my uh, client that wants to be able to do this, you know, in a few years, he wants to start conditioning himself for it what should he be considering and how should he be going about this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, it's a great idea. So like, yeah, you can hike yourself into shape. So some people, they're kind of different schools of thought. Some people are like, Oh, you don't have to do any training ahead of time. You'll hit the trail and just walking every day, you're going to hike into shape. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's true in some cases, but you're going to be a lot more prone to overuse injuries and just to not completing the goal that you set out to do. So Um, of course I, and and my co-author Heather are big proponents of physically training yourself to be ready for that hike. And I think like the longer out you can start the better, because that way you're not going to be tempted to like ramp up too quickly. So that's one of the principles, um, you know, that, uh, we talk about with training is, is building a training plan for yourself where you're balancing, um, like cardiovascular training, strength, and mobility exercises, and rest, of course, because that's an important part of a training plan as well as um, giving yourself, your body, enough time to adapt to the stressors from exercise that you're actually strengthening, building muscle, and not like just wearing yourself down. So yeah, a basic are the training plans. Uh, We essentially talk about how to build your own individual training plan, um, and we go through some exercises in there where you can test like test yourself for muscle weaknesses. So that's one aspect of it is doing, um, different tests on your own bodies. You can determine, like, if you have places where you used to get injured a lot, like we're going to, uh, invite you to focus extra strengthening effort in that area, whether, uh, through different exercises, whether that's through doing lunges or toe raises or, calf raises or things like that. Um, so figuring out where your personal weaknesses are and then building a plan that builds your endurance by slowly building up the miles gradually, including enough rest days in there. And and we talk about a protocol for like how to figure out where to start, you know, because it depends, like, are you starting from the couch? or Are you starting from someone who is already relatively in shape? So we kind of talk about like how to build those miles gradually and like what to start with and how to build up. And then, um, including, you know, those strengthening exercises and those mobility exercises, like I was talking about, whether that's like, um, strengthening, like your inner thighs or strengthening, like your hip muscles or things like that. Any of those muscles you're going to use with backpacking. I mean, essentially like we're just trying to get the body adapted to carrying a weight on the back over uneven surfaces, because that's, that's different than what a lot of us are used to. And what a lot of our bodies are used to. So yeah, we talk about how to build those balance out those aspects in a training plan so that your body, you know, you hit hit the trail with your body being ready and you're not going to, you know, have to go home early from overuse injuries. And it's just, it's so much more enjoyable when you show up in shape. Like I've seen, I've seen both sides of it. (laughs) Some people go off the couch and they just struggle a lot. And then other people, you know, focus a lot of time into that training ahead of time and you can hit the trail doing more miles and it hurts so much less. And you can keep up with your friends if you're going in a group. So I'm definitely an advocate of training your body.
0: Yeah. I I, One of the things I kind of like about what you had in the book was it was also know yourself. So, you Mm -hmm. know, it's like put on a 40 pound pack and walk and walk kind of the same grade of hills and things that you're going to be doing on there. And if you notice, okay, your core is not really stabilized well enough that you can handle a pack. Well, you need to maybe bolster your core work. Uh, you know, maybe you're, you're arching your lower back and mm-hmm. over time, that's going to fatigue. You can do some, some Cobras and some things like that to just make sure that you're in a better condition, uh, to handle how your body's going to respond. Cause you know, uh, I saw something and there was a, uh, it's called, um, we I got to find this because it, it was so cool. Um, it was the uh, trail pronation, which I guess, you know, as you're carrying weight and you're moving up a trail, the way you walk, the way you move, it changes. It changes the whole dynamic of your kinetic chain. Mm-hmm. And as a result, you have to look at the shoes you're wearing and, and be ready to change those out regularly. You also need to just, again, train yourself to be in that different position for hours, hours at a time.
2: Yes, absolutely. It's such a good point as, um, a lot of people, especially sometimes like if people are, um, they just do walking as they're training or they're transitioning from running or something like that. They kind of forget about how putting a pack that's anywhere from, you know, 20 to 40 pounds on the back really changes like your center of gravity and how you carry your body. And exactly like you're just saying, like, how, how does that affect, um, how you move and how do you train for that?
0: Yeah. And then, and then how much you've conditioned yourself then blends into the plan for the trail. It's like if you know you're not going to be able to do 20 miles a day for five consecutive days, then you've got to come up with a plan for well, one, okay, maybe it's going to take you a little longer. You're probably gonna have to carry more food. Mm-hmm. So your pack might even be heavier mm-hmm. and you're gonna move slower. Yeah, But that's your plan and you have to kind of balance that out. And so knowing your conditioning and then that helps drive your plan. Knowing your plan helps drive your conditioning and it's kind of a back and forth thing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Exactly like you said. Yeah, that knowing your the the daily mileage that you're capable of, what's comfortable for you, taking into consideration that um, you know, weather might get in your way or a heavier pack might slow you down, all that stuff. Um Really ties into exactly like you said, how much food you're going to need to carry when you're expected to get to point B and then point C and D, these resupply places along the trail. And, you know, you're also thinking about, um, okay, am I going to finish in time to fit inside this like weather window is what we say, you know, because you don't want to be out there on a 2000 mile trail. It's a little different than planning for a three night or even a five night trip because you're like oh I'm gonna go out and it's June first through six no problem I know the weather is gonna stay nice but when you're out there for months at a time you have to be kind of thinking about okay am I gonna be able to finish in time am I going at a pace that's adequate to get me to Canada before the snow starts flying and all of that so it's another reason why you know being trained and like you're saying just like knowing your body and what you're capable of is is very valuable.
0: Yeah. Well, Heather did a fastest known time on the Appalachian trail. I think if I did it, it would be the slowest time and I would have to go <laughs> through a lot of snow, uh, probably two years of it <laughs> to get yes. that baby done. But, um, cause that's, that's something else. Um, mm-hmm. now we, we can talk about the physical preparation, but I, I know from experience that you can get yourself as physically prepared as you ever want to. Uh, you can have all your planning, you can have everything mapped out, uh, but stuff happens, you know, um, and, and this is hard stuff. I mean, you're not talking about, you know, walking, a, I'm, I'm walking an hour or two hours and then calling it a day. Um, you guys are doing upwards of 12, maybe even more hours to get the distances that you want to get so that you can, you know, keep this sustainable for you. Um, how do you mentally prepare for something like that?
2: Yes. Um, such a great topic and one that I'm, i really love talking about with people because it's something that a lot of aspiring through hikers or long distance hikers don't think as much about. They think a lot about, I've got to get the right gear and I have to, um, like practice my navigational skills and I've got to get my food ready and all that. And all those things are super important and we cover them in the book, but that mental preparation aspect, that's something I wasn't ready for on my first hike. I mean, I kind of had an idea, um, from ha- having read blogs and things like that, but, um, it's, I mean, you're going to be, it, there are some tough conditions out there. Like you said, you're not just out for an hour over the course of multiple weeks and months, you're going to encounter crappy conditions. You're going to miss your loved ones. You're going to be hungry. Your body's going to hurt no matter how well-trained you are. There's going to be Um, a lot of aspects to it that you can't really prepare yourself um, from like a physical perspective, but you can prepare your mind for it. So, I mean, I I share the statistic in the book, but it's estimated that 75 to 85% of aspiring through hikers on what we call the triple crown trail, triple crown trails, which is the AT, the PCT and the CDT actually quit before reaching their goal. And when you think about that, it's interesting because backpacking is I mean, it's a skill set that you need to learn, but it's not particularly technical. someone who does, you know, who studies and goes out and practice, you can become proficient at it relatively quickly. And yeah, it's a great physical feat to accomplish, but you can adjust your pace, you can slow down and all of that. So like, why is it that so many people are failing to reach their goal when they're out there? And it's, I think it's a lack of like mental preparation, failing to prepare your mind for the fact that it is going to be hard. Because I think when a lot of people are thinking about going out on these trails, they're thinking about all of those, um, really desirable things like the beautiful scenery and being away from their laptop or their work schedule, um, kind of being on their own time, the simplicity of being out there, all those things that draw us out there, but they're not necessarily thinking about the fact that they're going to have blisters on their heel that are the size of a quarter and that they're going to run through their food too quickly and be hungry, or they're going to be scared at times, you know, whether it's of animal or weather, anything like that. Um, So, yeah, there's a a saying that's like through hiking success is 90% uh, mental and it's mental preparation. So that's why we kind of go through some different strategies in the book of um, how to prepare yourself mentally for a long hike. And I'm happy to dig into those if you want to get into those specifics. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Now, I know, you know, I've I've written a book too, so congratulations on the effort, but uh, you also said you're, you're, you like to journal. You guys like to journal I a lot. So, mm-hmm. okay. So, so you were already sitting around with a notebook every day after you finished your hike, or maybe even the morning before you started your hike. So I imagine that discipline of journaling helped you with writing this book as well. So I know that was one of the big ones that was, but the one that was most interesting to me was the practice voluntary hardship,
2: mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one. Um, I think that, yeah, that you don't necessarily think of right away. But so for me, that came about really when I started running, when I was younger, I did cross country, like in, in junior high and high school. And I noticed that when I would, so to become skilled at anything, it's practice and it's putting in the hours. And I would notice that when I made myself go out in on the rainy days or go do twice a days in the afternoon. So I grew up in Ohio and it was hot and humid and I would make myself go in the morning and then go again in the afternoon, no matter how much I didn't want to. And it was amazing because I would get out there and I would be like, oh, this isn't, this isn't like that bad. You know, I survived this, like, oh, I went out in the rain and I survived it. And so I think that, that principle of practicing voluntary hardship is like building your inner resiliency, like letting yourself, your body and your mind know I can do this hard thing. I'm capable of it, you know, and, and this hard thing isn't going to, it, it might not be even as hard as your mind is telling you it's going to be like with those runs. I was saying, Oh, I got out there and I was like, Oh, I got wet. Okay. That's not a big deal. Not, you know, I'm fine. Or, um, just putting yourself in those situations, anything that's, that's sort of a little bit on your edge of, of discomfort to just train your body and your mind into that, uh, belief and knowingness that, you're capable. You can do those challenging things.
0: Yeah. Well, I had a, an author on it I, I, I know his first name was Michael, but uh, his book was called the, um, uh, was called the comfort crisis. And it was, <laughs> it was a, it's a great book on this topic. Uh, he got himself, uh, in a situation where he was, he just had a, uh, got dropped off with these guys uh, out in the tundra about as far north as you could ever go. And he spent 30 days out there. And, you know, yeah. it was kind of one of those things of it, it taught him that, and these hard things do they'll teach you this, that, um, you know, you guys said words like embrace the suck or, you know, those types <laughs> of things. And, and it's funny to say, uh, it's not funny when you're doing it, but then after it's over and you survive, it's kind of like, well, good. I, I feel like I've accomplished more because i went through this hard thing and i think that's where the kind of buildup of all of this you know is is going is okay yes you can you can journal you can meditate you can breathe and those are all important things just just for life i mean not everything in life uh, but if you make things hard on yourself uh here and there it just gives you this resilience from a mental perspective uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise
2: yeah absolutely yeah and there's um you know like a big trend in wellness and and it's not just a trend, but it's, you know, there's lots of like science and research behind It's like cold baths and cold exposure. And part of it is like, yes, it does have absolutely like benefits for your mitochondria and inflammation, all of that. But I think part of it too, is like the mental benefits. It's like the, um, exactly. It's like showing yourself that like you can do hard things and you can get through it. And that makes you more capable for other hard things in life.
0: Yeah, because I prefer the heat shock proteins of going out when it's in the high 80s and, yeah. and putting up with that uh, versus the cold um, any day. Uh, but so, yeah, yeah, maybe I need to do that, but I don't actually have anywhere I can take a bath here. So I'll have to, I'll have to figure that out. And the, and the ocean is 70 degrees, so it's not going to do what I need <laughs> to do. But, it. Yep. No, I won't do it. But uh, I agree with you there. Uh, Katie, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well?
2: Yes, that's a great question. So, of course, I'm going to say daily time outside. Um, for me, that is probably one of like the biggest, uh, most valuable wellness practices in my own life, even if it's just, if you only have time for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, getting outside, ideally as close to sunrise as possible, getting that natural light into your eyes, setting your Hormones, um, optimizing those for the day, your circadian rhythm, all of that, and just the stress relief benefits of being outside. I think it's so, so valuable. Um, I think having something planned each day that you look forward to or that you're excited about, whether it's a walk outside or for me, like journaling time over my coffee or my tea, whatever it is, time with a loved one, snuggling a pet, whatever it is, maybe it's part of a morning ritual, anything that I think like feeds and nourishes you it's such a great antidote for um the the busy and often like stressful lives. Many of us live in the modern life or find ourselves in, you know, whether it's um a stressful day or a season of life, just having those things each day that we can look forward to. I think are real it's it's just really important um having that reason to get out of bed. And then that kind of leads into my third one, which is and it's something similar we talk about in the book, is like knowing your why. Um, having that strong sense of purpose or vision for what you are putting your en- energy towards each day, what you're putting your time towards in this season of life, something that just like keeps you going through the inevitable challenges that you're going to face in day to day life, just having that strong sense of, of why and purpose.
0: Thank you for that. So the book is called Adventure Ready, A Hiker's Guide to Planning, Training, and Resiliency. If someone wanted to learn more about that book or learn more about you, Katie, or your co-author, Heather, where would you like for me to send them?
2: Sure. Uh, The best place to go would be katiegerber.com, which is my website. Um, And then my co-author and I, uh, Heather, are both active on Instagram. Um, And so mine is at Katie Gerber and she's at Words of the Wild. So you can find either of us there. And I have more information about those online courses that are the companion to the book there. There's also a free backpacker nutrition course on there. So lots of um, backpacking resources on the website for anyone who is interested in doing more long distance hiking, backpacking, day hiking, any of that. So just want to help people get started and get out there safely and confidently.
0: Great. You can go to 40 plus fitness podcast.com forward slash five, four, four, and I'll be sure to have the links out there. Katie, thank you so much for being a part of 40 Plus Fitness.
2: Thanks so much for having me. It's a lot of fun talking to you.
0: Welcome back, Raz.
1: Hey Alan, what a great interview. And listening to Katie talk really just invigorated my um excitement about hiking. And I've got a big hike planned so this fall. We're supposed to be hiking across Isle Royal up in Lake Superior, northern Michigan. And and all the tips that she had to share with you were just fantastic. It was a great interview.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really good book. She she and Heather, Katie and, and Heather. Uh, they're pros. I mean, they, they, mm-hmm. they do this regularly. They've, they've done it for a while and they know their things, they know their stuff, you know, um, with Heather having the the record fastest known time yeah. uh, for the trail. That's, that's not something you just get uh, no. by showing up, <laughs> No. <laughs> you know,
1: nope.
0: uh, you got to keep moving. You got to keep doing it. And so that's why, you know, I thought it was really important uh, to have them on, to talk about this book because um, a lot of people, you know, this is a, this is an accessible thing for for a lot of people now. Maybe not, you know, 2200 mile hike throughs. But <laughs> but that said, you break it into segments. You break it into pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of us are going to live within reaching distance, daily reaching distance to do a day trip to go out and just mm-hmm. do a day hike.
2: Oh um,
0: yeah, and it's a it's a great way to reconnect with nature. It's a great way to just get away from all the digital toxins and stuff in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, don't take your phone uh, except to have it in your pocket as a GPS if you get right. lost but sure. or to call for help. But just this is a great opportunity for you to get out, uh, see things that most people don't see because they don't mm-hmm. bother to venture out.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So many things to chat about. You know, she had mentioned um, showing up in shape and being prepared. And I just wanted to highlight that, you know, going on a hike is a little different than just walking to your mailbox or walking through the grocery store or something, you know, sometimes these trails, like my little trail downtown that I use a lot is asphalt paved. I can't get lost. So it's a perfect trail for me, but there's a lot of dirt trails and there's a lot of things to see out there. And it's a little bit of different type of hiking and you need to be prepared for that different type of walking.
0: Yeah. And the weather and everything else. And that's yes. what's, you know, in this book, that was one of the other things is they, they do a really good job of walking you through the planning. There's mm-hmm. worksheets, there's all kinds of things in there for you to literally uh, plan your hike and then go do your mm-hmm. hike. And, and yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to discuss that with her, the preparation, at least from a physical perspective, and then from a mental perspective, because mm-hmm. uh, yes, you can plan, to use the hike as part of your training, because Mm -hmm. you do, if you do fewer miles at the beginning and then you can build up your endurance and you can do more. And maybe if you're working really hard, I know if I tried to take three months off to go do something like that, um, then I'm going to be working my butt off those last days and and
1: Mm -hmm.
0: they're going to be long days and I'm not going to have training time during the week. And Mm -hmm. maybe not even on the weekends as I'm trying to get myself ready to take that kind of time off to right. go do it. Um, so, you know, yeah, you, you train how you can with what yep. you have uh, right. to get yourself in the right kind of shape, because the worst thing you want to get into is that you throw that 40 pound pack on your back and you can't really even do it. Right. Um, <laughs> that's yeah. not good. Uh, yep. you know, your, your three month hike just became a three year hike, um, yeah. because you can't do it. So yeah, you're going to want to be at some level of condition to be able to, to hit some some mile markers, you know, So you're going right. to be able to put some, some miles in. So the training's important, but you will be able to somewhat train yourself to be better as you go. So you can even factor yeah. that a little bit into the plan of a gradual, as I like to say, gentle nudges uh, of additional <laughs> mileage as you go, mm-hmm. uh, as long as again. And she even said this in the book is you got to factor in your rest days. You know, oh, uh, yeah. I probably Heather didn't take too many rest days when she was breaking the record But, you know, when you're, when you're going at it, you you might plan, okay, we're going to be near this city, there's town, and I'm going to go act like a townie for a little while and eat restaurant (laughs) food and sleep in a hotel bed and take showers, (laughs) um, lots of showers. Um, And then, you know, you, then you can go for another, another sprint, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to factor in who you are, where you are, and then do that. And then the mental side of it, I was telling you before we got on the call, um, I was, going to do nine miles Sunday. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of didn't feel really good about my, my digestive system. Um, I didn't want to have messy pants. And so I thought, so I still stayed around town. So I was like, okay, I'm going to stay between my house and the gym. They're about a little over half a mile away. So I'm just walking down towards the gym and sort of walking right back towards the house. And I, I do a couple loops and I'm like, okay, I feel pretty good. And then I got about a mile out of town on an out and back. And so I'm somewhere around five miles. And I noticed that my arm is chafing Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and it's very uncomfortable. And so now I have this, do I quit? Or do I not mm-hmm. scenario, you know, and I was like, yeah, well, you know, I, I, have, I have a mile to walk back and then, you know, I could put something on it, but then am I going to really want to get out and continue to, to do this mm-hmm. or would I just quit? And so I was like, no, I'm, I'm just going to finish it. And this is uncomfortable, uh, but I'm going to embrace the suck, if you will, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and just keep going. Mm-hmm. And today I'm wearing a, a, a tank top. That was a tank top too, but I'm wearing a tank top with a much bigger drop in the sleeves. So, yeah, oh, uh, I mean, I'm not re re scuffing it as I go good. or chafing it. Yeah. that's good.
1: Yeah, but- yep. You know, we're preparing this trip for Isle Royal, and we've been planning it for over a year. We're going to uh, walk about 50 miles across from island end to end. And there are no showers. There's no gas stations to pick up food. <laughs> so um, we're practicing everything that we need to have on this island right now. Actually, over the weekend, Mike and I were taste testing some different Uh, freeze-dried foods, the really lightweight camping foods that we'll be packing in. We're testing our equipment. We're making sure our tent can withheld some uh, leaks if it it rains. You know, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. But also, while you can do some conditioning on a hike like that, it, it is good that you arrive fit. And having practiced your equipment and know what it feels to wear a 30, 40, 50 pound backpack. I mean, there's certain things you can't just show up as a newbie. The first time Mike and I hiked Isle Royal with our family, gosh, I think it's going on 30 years ago. Um, it was really neat to see this wonderful newlywed couple. They had chosen Isle Royal as their honeymoon vacation and the woman had never hiked before in her life. And when we did find them at the end of the island, her feet were just blistered because she didn't practice her boots. She wasn't prepared for the backpack. I mean, there are just a myriad of problems that she had, but she gutted it out. You know, She made it to the end, which is amazing. But um, my best advice, if you want a successful and happy and fun trip, is to show up fit and practice to the best of your ability.
0: Yeah. And that, and that's what it, you know, the preparation is, is key. And that's one of the things that this mm-hmm. book is really good about because it asks you all the questions. I mean, so I it's gonna, it. like something you're going to say, like you were just talking about food,
1: mm-hmm. how
0: many calories? Yeah. Will you be burning every day? So how many mm-hmm. do you need to consume mm-hmm. to maintain? Mm-hmm. And so it's not the normal, what you eat, you can say, well, no. I, I only eat 1600 calories a day. Right. Well that's when you're sitting at the computer doing your job uh, <laughs> yes. you know driving around uh <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not you're not walking 12 15 20 miles a day uh or yep. more and yep. uh cuz some of those much th- things some of these hikes they're doing they're doing uh 8 to 10 hours
1: mm-hmm. of,
0: of movement per day easily and, and so they're looking at their calorie requirements and saying okay that's easily 3000 calories and this is for woman mm-hmm. uh it's a lot Um, but they need to have that amount of calories. And how much do all those calories weigh? Because if you're if you're carrying a casserole dish full of food, (laughs) (laughs) it's heavy. Um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, the freeze-dried stuff, uh, the granolas, the stuff like that, and then get knowing that it's something you can tolerate. Cause the like Mm -hmm. kind of worst case thing is that you you get out there and um you know, you eat something that doesn't agree with you. And you're not making your miles those days because you're you're in a bush, in a yeah. squat position.
1: Yeah, you know? that's a problem. We have uh we have very sp- precise uh, transportation on both sides of the island. We get dropped off at a certain time, and then we get picked up on the other side of the island at a in a, I think seven or eight days. So we need to be there no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, we ain't getting off the island. <laughs> So, yeah, it's very important that you know how to practice all these things. And like she said, the mental aspect of it, if you've got blisters, you've got an upset stomach, you've got chafing, these things are very common. And you need to be prepared, mentally prepared to push through it. Like in our case, when we have a very specific time, we need to meet our planes. So, yeah, there's a lot to it. But it's all so right. fun. It's so well,
0: well, you do need to check out this book. I think this will help yes. help you a lot.
1: I think it will. Thank you so much. All right.
0: Well, I'll talk to you next week. Take care. You too. Thanks. Next time on the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we discuss a way to check in with yourself that will keep you motivated and moving toward your health and fitness goals. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.